0: Welcome to another episode, an amazing episode of the King's Table podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Vivek Ramaswamy, with us, 2024 presidential candidate. I'm here, Ashish Nathu. I'm joined with my friends, Mike Ayala, Mooch, and Maddie. A. We were blessed to have about 30 to 45 minutes with Vivek Ramaswamy, and we asked some really great questions. I hope you enjoy this episode, and we're not going to waste any more of your time. Here it is, Vivek Ramaswamy's interview with King's Table welcome to the king's table podcast everybody i am honored to have vivek ramaswamy with us candidate for president of the united states welcome to the podcast vivek it's good to be on man how are you i'm really good man thank you so much for being here i want to just get right into asking you questions we really want to value your time as we start kind of just giving you a few minutes to explain who is vivek ramaswamy and why does he want to run for president of the united states
1: so i'm uh entrepreneur at heart, uh, but I've, I'm somebody who has had a lot of pursuits in my life. My uh, parents came to this country 40 years ago with no money. In a single generation, I've gone on to found, thankfully, multiple successful companies and did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva. She's a surgeon here at Ohio State. She's a throat surgeon, raising our two sons who are three years old and one year old and uh, travel on the campaign trail with us quite a bit, which has been a fun, interesting journey. I... uh Started my first business. It was a biotech company that I built. It's a multi-billion dollar business today that I led as CEO for seven years and five of the medicines I worked on are FDA approved today. I started another business called Strive that competes with the likes of BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard by offering index funds, but with a different approach to voting and to shareholder engagement, telling companies something radical. Focus on your products and services for profit rather than on other unrelated social agendas, and that's been, you know, thankfully, a success in crossing over a billion in assets under management within a year or so of its first uh, fund launching. I've started a number of other businesses too. Another one's in, in called Chapter in the Medicare Advantage space and a range of other businesses. But that—that that was my life: driving change through the private sector. I ended up stepping down from my job as a biotech CEO, though, to offer a pointed criticism of the politicization of business. And I wrote what ended up being three books on the back of that Woke Inc. was the first, and then two more that came after Nation of Victims and then Capitalist Punishment. But I realized that I was only going to drive so much change through writing books, even through starting businesses. I think the bigger vacuum in our country was this deeper hunger for. Purpose and meaning, especially in in our generation, if I may say it, I saw a lot of other politicians and Republican candidates criticizing the poison that fills that void, but without filling that void with a vision of our own. And you know, through a long journey that led a poor I to decide that the right way to revive this country was for a different generation, a new generation of leadership, to actually lead us to a positive vision of what it means to be
0: an American. And that's what this whole campaign has been all about. I love it. And actually going down that line, I think us as entrepreneurs, I think for me personally, I've never really followed a campaign as closely as I have yours. I think there's just something about following an entrepreneur that is just attractive to us. And I think the question I would ask is, you know, how and why should leaders in business or non politicians get into politics, knowing that, you know, media and and you've gone through this yourself is it's so easy for people to get ripped apart. Accusations are made all those kinds of things. And some of our brightest minds are sitting on the sidelines and would rather sit there than to expose themselves and their families through all the hell of this, let alone the financial costs. But what would you say and how would you encourage more business leaders to get more involved in politics and shaping our country's future?
1: Well, I would say encourage in one sense, but it's got to be organic, right? If it's a box checking thing, then it's almost better that you drive positive change in other ways. I think you have to feel called to do it. And so I struggle with this one because I do think that our country would be better off if we had more people like those on this call or, or in your listener base or otherwise who took time in public service. I I just think strictly the country would be better off if we did. But that's only true if it is actually something you feel organically called to do. Mm. So in a certain way, I hope that the way I'm best able to impact that result is by being successful here and setting an example that, yes, this can be a painful process. And yes, there's a lot of reasons why you're going to give up things to do it. But on the other side of it, it's not. First of all it's not as it's not as bad as they make it out to be if you approach it with the right spirit. But the second thing is we're not going to have a country left actually if mm. we each assume that this is somebody else's problem, you know, the government you know, I'm not interested in the government. I mean even a poor my wife in particular, she's good at what she does, but even me, you know, first generation immigrant family, you're trained with a certain mindset, put your head down, work hard, get ahead, do positive things, productive things. All that dirty politics, that's for somebody else. And the fact of the matter is that I think many entrepreneurs might learn this lesson the hard way. You might not be interested in the government, but the government's interested in you. Mm. You might not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. And I think that waiting for this to be somebody else's problem to solve is something that once you've achieved a certain level of success, you think about what inheritance you want to give your kids. Is it a bunch of green pieces of paper in a country where those green pieces of paper literally cease to mean something? or? Is it the inheritance of a country where they can live that same American dream that you did? And and Apoorva and I made our choice. And I think hopefully in ways that you know demonstrate through example, hopefully the example of success, we're able to say that, you know what, if you're a parent of kids and an entrepreneur, et cetera, that's great. But there's a higher purpose for recreating or reviving a country that allowed not just one of you, but millions of you to be able to do the same thing. And if you don't, then we're at risk of losing that permanently. Vivek, I know you've really
2: shown something that other candidates haven't shown, which is doing your campaign a little bit differently. And I know we got a lot of business builders on here, a lot of brand builders, a lot of people that are really trying to get their mission and their message out to more people. And I think we can all agree, right? Attention is that new currency nowadays. And your approach to your campaign is something that I personally have been following and very intrigued by Get more eyes and ears on your message, your mission. can you tell us a little bit more about your campaign strategy and the reason for this approach, and maybe how you feel like it's working for you based on your own expectations and what's actually playing out as a result?
1: Yeah, look, I think that given that I'm an outsider in the realm of politics, I've really brought this approach to bear on the campaign. Certainly, I think the campaign's been at its best, and we've been at our best when I've done this, and maybe not not at our best when we've abandoned it, but Everything's an experiment, really, right? Mm. Mm. If you're just doing something the tried and true way, you know, you you become a plastic, hollowed out husk of yourself. And you know, I think if you're willing to say, "Here are my true convictions," I'm going to share them in an unvarnished way. I'm going to do it in a particularly forward way that involves some risk, and it's an experiment. Not sometimes that is that a risk of being misunderstood or a risk of having backlash. Yes, there is. Is there a risk that occasionally, you know, one out of a hundred times, you're even going to change your own mind after you hear a better argument? Yes, there is. But we're human beings. And I think that we want our nation to be led by human beings like us. I think, I mean, I think you want somebody who is willing to share his convictions even in the face of criticism, somebody who, in the face of better facts, is open to changing their mind on an issue. You don't want somebody doing that all the time, but somebody who actually in the rare circumstance where that happens. Yes, those are risks. Those are very different than the way traditional politicians do it. right? And I think that that's something that has helped this campaign, at least so far. I think we're seeing something happen in the latter part of this campaign that I'm a little worried about, not not so much for this campaign, but for the country, where now the mega dollars are really starting to flow in from the institutionalized Republican circles. I think the super PACs, I'm increasingly convinced are a cancer on American politics. We're not playing that game, and so the bet we're making is i mean I mean, look, I don't begrudge anyone who wants to support us at whatever scale they want to in whatever way they want to in the campaign or or uh, you know whatever whatever the way this goes. but I think that there are a lot of candidates who dance to the tune of special interests as a way of raising money, and it's effective. And money is effective at buying airtime, literally, and advertising mm. on TV and radio and otherwise. And that becomes a tougher thing to compete against. You know, my, I've lived the full American dream where we've invested immense resources from our family's perspective, certainly, into this campaign over 16 plus million bucks. I mean, whatever the number is, maybe higher than that. But that's still modest in comparison to the hundreds of millions, soon to be billions flowing through super PACs with special interest funding and propping up others who will be circus monkeys for those special interests, which I refuse to be. And so my bet is that's going to be a successful strategy, but I am worried that the distortions that you see in American politics are a product of these special interests that I don't think are good. And- I think that that's something I intend to change if if I'm successfully elected but in the meantime you know frankly we're going to need the support of like-minded patriots across the board I mean the max somebody that can traditionally give to a campaign is 3300 bucks to the campaign in the primary and 3300 in the general it's a lot of money to a lot of people but it's not enough to buy off a politician it's enough to support one the super PAC game is a whole separate story but you know, and I think it's, it's a bad influence on American politics. But in the meantime, through the traditional system, other than me, who can give an unlimited amount to the campaign, everybody else is capped out at 3,300 in the primary and 3,300 in the general, you can give 6,600 up front. Frankly, if there's successful creators on this call, et cetera, whatever the max amount is somebody is able to, I'm going to ask you to do it. And I, I used to be very shy about that. I'm not shy anymore for two reasons. One is we have a clear path to victory. And I was going to wait to ask people for serious money before I knew we had a clear path to win. But the second is, it is necessary to work this way to compete against the way the Republican donor establishment otherwise traditionally works. And if you want to break that system, it's going to take... I mean, I think the best thing you could do is enter public service and see if you're willing to donate a few years of your life to bring competence to the realm of actually being a governor, a mayor, a president, whatever it is. But short of that, I'm going to ask you for your help. And, and if everybody is willing and able to do it, if it's a dollar, it's a dollar. If it's 6,600, then let it be 6,600. That puts me in a position to break that system. And one of the things I've learned slowly and gotten comfortable with in the last month or two is is getting over the initial reluctance that I, that, that a guy like me began this process with. I don't have that reluctance anymore.
3: Love it.
4: Fighting for the future of the U.S. You can't be afraid exactly. to ask I, if you're really fighting gonna for the do future of the it takes. U.S.
1: Yeah, yeah we, yeah, we and will not be shy.
3: You know, your comment about not having a, a country left—that's there. There's a lot of um, there's a sense of urgency around that, so I, I appreciate that. On that note, too, talking about you know the 3,300 and getting everyday Americans involved. Uh, my my audience, our audience, is primarily small business owners, real estate investors, or you know many of them aspiring to be. And I'll say this first: like I, I believe in the free market and everything else, and and would love for the government, you know, not to get too involved. But my question, you know, it's getting harder and harder to compete with large corporations. And we look at rising costs, taxes, the healthcare costs, insurance costs, and specifically for you know small businesses and the employees around that. And obviously, you know their costs rising, uh, wage growth not keeping up with the cost of inflation and everything else. And and with your background in business, I'm just curious. When we look at all of this, you know, what are some of your ideas to help in these areas? And how do you propose to navigate that? Like you were just talking about, you know, the big donors and and the, the the behemoth behind all of this. Like how do you navigate through the gauntlet of like career politicians and and try to get agreement around some of these, you know, or get some bipartisanship in some of this?
1: So my view is I don't even view this through partisan lenses, not really. I don't think the real divide in this country is between black and white, as the media would teach you to believe. But I don't even think it's between Democrats and Republicans. Mm. I think it's between, I rarely do you hear me just Biden bashing gratuitously or, I mean I, I mean, I disagree with a lot of what he's done to this country and I think it's awful, but I don't think that it is productive to sit there and bash one party over another when the Republican party has plenty of failings within itself. And the real divide in this country, I think, is between an overwhelming majority of Americans who share our national values meritocracy, the pursuit of excellence, free speech, open debate, the rule of law, self governance over aristocracy. These are controversial ideas to some, but most of us in this country share those basic values in common black, white, red, or blue. It doesn't matter. And then there's this fringe minority that I do think happens to have the Democratic Party in a chokehold, but in terms of people in this country, it's a fringe minority that rejects the founding ideals of our country, that believe that your genetics determine what you can achieve in life, that believe that group quotas are the right way over meritocracy, that censorship's the right way over free speech, that anti-Americanism and American apologism is better than American exceptionalism. And I reject that, but that's the real divide. And so I see the prism that way. What I see this campaign as being is really a pro-American movement that's using the Republican Party as a vehicle to advance our agenda. And I do think that being here from a different generation helps. I mean, I'm 38. I'm the youngest person ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. I'd be the youngest president ever elected if elected. I think we have to reach the next generation with an actual vision of what it means to be an American rather than in the 2023 partisan bickering of tug of war. And and, people wonder, well, why is it that you see such fissures within the Republican Party and within the Democratic Party? But then we're also partisan between Republicans and Democrats? It's that that's the wrong way to look at this, actually. It's between the managerial class and the everyday citizen. That one you show up a lot in the Republican Party, the Republican establishment, and otherwise, it exists in the Democratic Party. But then mm-hmm. it's this broader anti-American current across our institutions that, you know 10 percent of the population is somehow professing to represent fifty percent of the population. And I just don't think that that's true. so That's a long way of saying I am optimistic about uniting this country, but it will take a leader who's not just a partisan hack to actually do it. It's part of the reason that I don't say everything the way that Republican politicians traditionally do, and that gets me in trouble with the Republican establishment. But good news is, at least if the system works as it's supposed to, it's not that establishment that decides who's running the country. It's the voters of this country, and I think that's going to work in our favor.
4: Well, Vivek, I just want to say thanks again for being here as Appreciate we have a, that, guys. A, a few more questions as, as we're going through. So I, I'm out in Austin, Texas and so many of our listeners uh, that, that came in with, with my people, I've got a couple hundred thousand, you know, agent, real estate agents, real estate investors uh, that'll be tuning in and learning about this. And I've spent just a lot of time in the last couple of days watching videos and seeing the town halls you've been doing as kind of some homework uh, to prepare for this. And it's been a really impressive. Couple of days, and I would encourage our listeners to go back and do it too, because we're only going to be able to hit a few more questions today, I'm sure. Uh, but make sure you go, continue to do your homework as we help push this out here. My question is digging into so over the last 18 months, the Fed has raised interest rates at an unprecedented, you know, speed, unprecedented amount, comparable to maybe you know early 80s, right? And. Industries are slowing down from it, but the one industry that's hit harder than any others is the real estate industry, Yep, where transactions and volumes are down at a fraction, and, and mortgage lenders and, and brokers and everyday real estate agents are hurting. And some investors that are like good, smart investors have been put out of business because of what happens when those rates happen and those lines of credit change. So I'd like to understand from you, how do you feel about the way they're attacking that? And what do you think the president's role should be in that? Because it's kind of set up in a way where the Fed isn't supposed to be controlled by the presidency. But is that right? And what could the president do or what could you do uh, in this uh, process?
1: Yeah, so the Fed is badly broken. And I think that part of what we need is to restore the true purpose of what a limited purpose is for the Federal Reserve, stabilize the US dollar as a unit of measurement. So there's this myth of the Phillips curve that says there's a trade-off between inflation and unemployment. It's based on old British data from New Zealand. It's flawed. But anyway, this is a long story. The Fed basically started to try to play God from on high. That was a mistake. And what I think the Fed should be doing instead is stabilizing the dollar against a basket of commodities. That would avoid it jerking in either direction, interest rates too quickly in one direction or otherwise. I'll give you one example of that flawed Fed philosophy at work. The Fed has taken wage growth as a leading indicator of inflation. So first of all, that means they play whack-a-mole when wages go up. That's part of why real wages haven't gone up for the bottom 99% in this country over the last 25 years. But put that to one side, it also means that anybody who runs a business knows that wages are the last thing to go up in a business cycle. So- When the Fed treats wage growth as a leading indicator of inflation and tightens monetary policy, raises interest rates, but wages are actually a trailing indicator of inflation or a trailing indicator of the business cycle, what they're doing is they're tightening monetary policy right into a natural downturn of the business cycle itself, which is a double whammy. That gives us financial crises. It's what we saw in 2008. And I see a lot of the mistakes we've made in the last year fit that same description. And so what you described as a problem, but it's a symptom of a deeper hubris of the Federal Reserve that we need to eliminate. And one of the ways to do it is employee headcount reductions. I mean, part of the problem is when you have a bunch of people showing up to work who should have never had that job in the first place, they find things to do that they shouldn't have been doing. So there's 23,000 some odd people that work in the US Federal Reserve system today. I only need less than 10% of that to stabilize the dollar as a unit of measurement. That's a 90% headcount reduction. And that's what I'm bringing to much of the federal bureaucracy, mass headcount reductions, 75% overall headcount reduction in the number of federal bureaucrats by the end of my first term. That's how you actually drain the swamp. And you also want to talk about addressing the national debt. I want to start with zero-based budgeting. Start with zero as the baseline and ask what's necessary rather than starting with last year's budget and then asking how you tinker around the edges. And so in so many ways, I do think it's time to have a CEO in the White House. But that means by definition, it's not going to be somebody that has traditional political experience. And I personally think that's a good thing. I think most Americans do too, but I'm the only candidate in this race that has that to offer. And that's why I'm asking for everybody who especially is from like-minded background to help support us get there.
0: You know, Vivek, I think what one of the things I love about your campaign and and your communication process is you really are clear about what a president can and cannot do. And a lot of these career politicians, you know, it's very easy to be rhetorical when no one is fact checking you. When an average voter is electing someone, you can get caught up in all this rhetoric language and not really know. What the president can and cannot do. So I'd love to give you an opportunity to maybe communicate. And you do a really artful job of doing this in all of your content online. So I don't want you know, we don't have to go there. But like what can a president do very specifically and what can a president not do and kind of set the record straight for the average listener?
1: Yeah, and this is a good question to to maybe get rap or get close to wrapping on, actually, because this is getting to the meat and potatoes of why the presidency is important. Mm -hmm. So the president runs the executive branch of government. The president can't make laws on his own. I, I, I favor a 12% flat tax across the board ordinary mm. income, capital gain, estate tax, corporate, doesn't matter. Across the board, 12% flat tax. I can't do that without Congress. However, what I can do as the US president is shut down the bureaucracy in the executive branch that's making a lot of the unconstitutional regulations that never passed Congress. And most of the regulations affecting businesses, both large and small, come from the executive branch that Congress never passed in the first place. So that much I can do. Opening up drilling, fracking, using coal, using nuclear energy, that much I can do. Reducing the federal employee headcount, fixing the budgeting process, that much I can do. Securing the borders of this country in my capacity as commander-in-chief, that helps end a wave of crime and other problems across this country, even poverty and homelessness, that much I can do. Ending race-based quota systems in the federal contracting process, which bleeds much into the rest of the private sector. Restoring meritocracy in this country, that much I can do. So those are the things I've made the top of my presidential campaign, not because they're they're the most, just because they're the most important things, I think they're very important. But it's also what I know I can do without asking Congress for permission or for forgiveness versus making a bunch of false promises that, I couldn't tell you if I could keep or not, if it depends on 500 people in Congress. And so the good news right now, though, is that those problems that the president can address are also the problems that help unlock our economy and revive our national identity. And so this is a special moment. And we have a Supreme Court right now that agrees with me six to three on everything that I'm telling you, that that is within the scope of duties of the US president. This is our moment to revive our country for the next generation. and you know, we're taught to believe that we're somehow in decline. I don't think we have to be in decline. I think we can still be in our ascent, but that is a choice. It's not going to be automatic. It's a choice that we make. You know, I, I really mean this. I think we're going to ask people across this country to do their part. and I we will do ours. And I truly believe that, you know what, 20 years from now, I don't think we have a country left if we just passively sit on our hands and watch it decay, but it doesn't have to stay that way. We're in a window where we can get this right. We're in a window where we can revive our national identity, revive national pride in this country. And if we seize that moment now, then yes, I do have confidence that our best days can still be ahead of us. And that's the choice I'd like for us to make. And that's why we're in this race. I love it. Where can our listeners go help? We would love for people to back us in whatever way they can, right? So if people have more time than money, volunteer with us. That's hugely helpful. Busy entrepreneurs building your businesses totally understand that now the financial raise really makes a difference, especially in this fourth quarter. Go to vivek2024.com, V I V E K 2024.com, and give whatever the maximum is you're comfortable with. The max amount you can give totally is $6,600 for those who are able to do it. If it's that maximum or something lower than that, but whatever the maximum is you're able to, we're going to ask you to do it. And I think we're in a window now where I know we can do this. We just need your help too. As I said, decline is a choice. We don't have to choose decline. We can be a nation that's still in our ascent. And I think it's going to take somebody from the next generation, somebody whose best days, I hope, are still yet ahead in life, to see a country whose best days are still ahead. And I think they can be. But we're going to ask for your help. It's vivek2024.com. V-I-V-E-K 2024.com. And if you're willing to support this campaign, it means a lot to me and, and we will not let you down. Apoorva and I will do our part. Love that.
2: I love how you approach your passion and purpose for our country as a patriot, but I also love your your passion and your purpose behind your family and, and the partnership you have with your wife and your kids. All of us have many kids and in marriages on this call and many of our listeners do. And one of the questions that we often get with this being a wealth building, a financial freedom based podcast and community is really talking about the younger generations and some of maybe the indoctrination and some of the negative things that we're seeing in our education system. And I'm curious on your thoughts on, you know, how can our education system start promoting financial literacy, entrepreneurship, you know, these applicable life skills that actually matter today, instead of some of this indoctrination, this woke agenda, and really just a lot of the outdated, archaic learnings that we're seeing. What are your thoughts around that? And maybe where does that
1: start in your own household? So, look, I think that much of what you see in the educational system right now in the indoctrination of wokeness, it is a deflection tool. Mm. They're blowing woke smoke for their own failure to do the thing that they were supposed to do. So, you know, they closed those schools over the last few years during the COVID pandemic. Well, what do they then start saying? Math is racist. No, two plus two equals four, and that's not racist. But what might be inequitable is failing to to teach those kids in the inner cities how to do math, but somehow in the private schools, COVID doesn't affect kids and teachers there. That was the failure. So it's woke smoke to deflect accountability for their own failure. And so one of the ways we dilute the woke agenda to irrelevance is going back to focusing on achievement in the school, math, writing, reading, basic proficiency, civic education. I think every high school senior who graduates from high school should be able to pass the same civics test. That every immigrant has to pass in order to become a voting citizen. That shouldn't be controversial. It was controversial when I said it, but it's, it, an inspiring fact to me was just last week a ten-year-old girl in Iowa came up to me afterwards after the, the, the start of a speech. I called her on stage for the end of it. She showed me she had printed out all hundred questions of that civics test. A passing score is sixty percent. She scored hundred. She's ten years old in Iowa. I love it. Right. So, That's so great. we have the the spirit and the capabilities in this country, but we need to cultivate that. So how do we do it in our own household? Well, look, I think that part of the reason that we have this victimhood culture spreading across the United States isn't that we've encountered so much hardship in the last 25 years. It's almost that we haven't encountered enough, right? And I think Mm -hmm. that we live in a moment where we teach our kids that hardship is the same thing as victimhood. No. Hardship is something that happens to you. Victimhood is a choice. And if you view victimhood as a choice, then it says, okay, well, what's that other choice? Hardship can somehow teach us who we really are. And so that's how we try to raise our two sons. They're young. The older one's three and a half, though. He's not too young for for beginning to teach this way. And I'll say this, maybe in closing, is here's the standard I want you all to hold me to. Okay, if you're going to donate to this campaign, as I've asked you to do and support us, here's the standard I want you to hold me to in return. I want you to hold me to the standard of something that we haven't had in a president in a long time. I believe we haven't, at least for me. I want to be able to look my two sons in the eye and tell them that I want you to grow up and be like him. Whoever that is in the White House, I don't care who it is, me or somebody else, I want you to grow up and be like him. I think it's been a long time since we've had a president that at least for me, I could look my two sons in the eye and tell them that in good conscience. Yeah, And and I think for, for those of you who you know, support us in this journey. That's a high standard, but that's the high standard I want you to hold our family and our, our feet to the fire on. And I think that that's half the job of the presidency is not just the policies, but it's the revival of a national character through the example you set. And you know we don't take that responsibility on lightly, but I'm fully aware that that's a critically important part of the job. And And whoever it is you put in that office, we put in that office, that's the standard we should apply. Love it.
0: Vivek, you know, really appreciate and honor you for your journey, your ground game, really sending you blessings and support. Really thank you so much for your time today. And again, listeners, Vivek's got a ton of information online. He's done so much valuable content out there. So please do some research and visit Vivek2024.com to donate and support him. Uh, Vivek, thanks so much, brother. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. you guys. Thanks a lot. And
1: thanks so
3: much. for good work. All right. See thank you. you.
0: Welcome back to the King's Table great interview, great conversation. Let's go around the table. Tell me what you guys thought. Let's start with uh, Mikey.
3: Man, I love what he said there at the end, just about, you know, being able to, it was the question that, that I think Mattie framed, just being able to like whoever's in the White House, like being able to look at my sons and say, you know, I want you to grow up and be like that guy. I just, that was very powerful. And, and there's part about him that I really just want to believe. I want to believe that, that he'll get in there and he'll hold himself to that standard. And so I'm hopeful, like, I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful that he's real.
2: Do you think he has a real shot?
3: Man, it's interesting what could happen. I was talking to a guy this morning that loves Vivek. He's actually a business partner of mine. And prior to that, I was talking to Kara and what's crazy about like, you look at Trump and you look at Biden right now, there's so much that could happen between now and the election that, I mean, even Robert Kennedy running as an independent, like if you've got a Trump and you've got a Biden, um, (laughs) you know, those two running for president, we might actually have a a likelihood of some independent actually getting elected. And so I, anyway, I say that Hmm. because there's so much that could happen between now and and the election time that maybe, maybe, um, you know, it kind of depends on who ends up. It might not even be Biden, but Biden might not even be coherent at that point in time. So there's so much volatility in, a a long in what time. could happen. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. Here's a, yeah, a long I mean. time
4: when you're 80. Is he running independent though? <laughs> or is he running for the Republican nomination?
3: Well, uh, Vivek next- is running as Republican. I'm just saying I brought up Robert Kennedy because like, it might actually be the first time ever if you have like a Trump and a Biden Run, you might actually be able to get an independent elected. And so I'm just saying, I brought that up as kind mm-hmm. of like a benchmark against, the, you know, yeah. the madness that we could be up against 12 months from now. Who freaking knows?
0: Yeah. I mean, I really like his, you know, I, I've watched so much on him and I think he showed up today in a way that I see him and I've seen him on a lot of other long form content podcasts. And he's just calmer. He's more collected. It's not so fiery. It's not so flashy. And I really feel like after you do that for so long, you kind of get to see somebody's real character. And that's how I feel like he showed up today. And I hope that the listener can kind of see that. And, you know, maybe you can't quite hear it. But if you look at it and see his kind of calmness and his collected, I mean, he's, he's, he's coherent, he's young, he's sharp, he's got energy. He's, um, you know, he's playing the ground game. And I feel like, as president, Just like being CEO of a company, you don't have to know everything. You don't know everything that's going on all the time. You hire really good quality people. You make good decisions. And I feel like uh, the world that we live in is incredibly complex. It's changing and you just need someone with fresh legs. And whether he has experience or not, I'm not sure if that really matters anymore. I think if you surround yourself with good quality people, you can make it. So I admire him for even attempting and making it this far. So I kind of just admire that. Yeah. And how much work it's taking out of him. And uh I, I see the purpose. I can't remember which of the guys asked that question, but I can just feel and see the purpose driven energy come out of him, which is what is sort of attracting me to him. I just don't see that in anyone else. What do you You're say
4: you know, I really just started researching him a couple of days ago, right? When when we talked about this, I know you guys have been talking about him and you guys have been mentioning it, and the idea of an independent having a chance, um, it is it's it's hard, right? It's hard to say, well, what will really happen with this? I was fascinated when he said he was 38 years old, right? And then the concepts he was saying. And there was a moment in there. I'm gonna have to re-listen to it to see when it was because there was a moment when I got chills. There was a moment when I was mm. like, like I was inspired. And I was inspired yeah. and and, he, and and he said, you know, now that we have a path, I'm gonna ask for money uh for people to help. And I also got discouraged when he was like. Hey, but, but, you know, I am going to be fighting. You kind of see some of his discouragement where now he's fighting hundreds of millions of dollars of super PAC ads that are getting pushed out by other people. And, you know, that fight and that battle that has to be done. My only regret or disappointment is we didn't have more time with him. And I felt like we didn't get to really give him any hardballs, right? We didn't yeah. really get to challenge him uh, with something else, with something that really could help distinguish it to at least like slow down some of the the negative talk. You know, one of the things that that he announced in one of the he was he was at a town town hall meeting. And the reason I'm going to share this is cuz I wish he would have been able to share it with us and in case yeah. some people don't reach out to the other ones. You know, he got, was getting so much hate and these people were saying like, "Hey, you have no experience. You're just another politician." And and that person says, we were fooled by Trump and now we've got another one and you have absolutely no experience. They're like, you wouldn't be qualified to be on the school board. They named like all these jobs that legally he couldn't take. Right. And they're like, so why should you be president? You know, and the crazy thing is when he's, I admire that he's coming on all these podcasts. He's letting us ask whatever questions, like we probably gave him some softballs. Uh, I think that we, you know, maybe we should have gone deeper into some like hard topics, but we gave him some softballs. But the fact that he was brave enough and willing to come on here and we could have asked him anything says something about him. So he came on and we're like, wow, we're here. So, you know, going through all kind of those concepts and and that idea, like he's willing to go to town halls and let people yell at him and ask him questions. And he's asking off the cuff. He said, it's okay to change your mind. He's getting on podcasts like ours and he's ready for whatever question. And we're holding the recording here. So we could have said something really difficult and he would have had to answer it. During that town hall, he's getting yelled at by these people. You know, and stuff, and it was just one after another after another, and half the crowd's booing. And he just said, "Look, I don't have any experience in government, but the guys that do, they owe these super PACs, and they owe these donors, and they they are owned by someone else. Like they are owned by their biggest donors. Somebody is putting tens and hundreds of millions of dollars behind campaigns, and one of the biggest problems we see with everything is then someone gets elected and they send money." to Ukraine and you're like well is this cuz of this deal or is it like what's really true and and in that one, he said look I'm my biggest donor so like he is yeah. his biggest donor he is the only one uh, that he has to answer to and so where he lacks with with uh, governing experience he wants to be able to make up for that by being able to say I'm not owned by anyone though so like <laughs> like I'm going he's going to make the decision that he thinks is best for the american people to where and he spent 15 million dollars of his own money on this thing not to make money. He doesn't need it. Like politicians come in with nothing and like Nancy Pelosi, and then she leaves being worth a gazillion dollars, right? He's not doing the plan that most politicians do. He's coming in worth a lot of money and now he's going to be worth less. (laughs) to become the president.
0: You know, I'm glad you saw that mooch in him. I mean, I I feel like it didn't, we could have asked him hard questions, but to be honest, there's plenty of people out there that are trying to ask him sensational questions already, and there's enough content out there. I think what we did was we asked him questions that are actually relevant to us and us as entrepreneurs, and the way that he answered them, I think, is it representative of who he is. I liked his real estate
4: answer. Like, I like, yeah. I, that made sense to me. That was like, he like he said, like, what can he do? He can fire ninety percent of the people that work at the Fed. That was an action to take of how he disagrees with the system. And I was glad that he actually jumped onto that because I think most presidential candidates
0: And also the zero-based budgeting, right? It's like, why is the government not run like a business? Why is it okay that the government can lose money, but a business can't survive it if it continues to lose money? So I think he's going to come in with that mindset and try to do as much as he can. And I think also sometimes in business also, you need to be not afraid. Of breaking things, like you need that guy that's gonna at that at that right time to just be that wrecking ball, and I think that he had that time where somebody's got to come in and and break it to rebuild it because you can't chisel; you're gonna have to take a chainsaw.
4: That's the part I got chills, and I just got it again as you're even repeating it. He was like, "If there was ever a moment like that, he has a chance to actually like overthrow (laughs) stuff. It is when there's like when economies fall when." It is, we are at a unique time that it could like, it could like high pressure. We're in a pressure cooker and it could like go either way. Right. So there is a chance that it gets way, way worse, but it's also a chance for like big change could happen. That was a, that was an inspiring moment.
0: If you heard him say this also, is he's learning. He's learning. He's adapting. He's taking new information. I think we have to admire that. Right. He doesn't know a lot. He's doing the best ground game he can. He's trying to get as most impressions and attention he can, but he's adjusting his his content and his strategy as he's evolving. I don't see too many people doing that because all these guys are, the rest of them are just professionals just on repeat. Matty, yeah. go ahead. I just don't
2: think he has a chance to get primary over, over Trump. Um, mm.
0: That being said, I'll
2: be very curious to see cuz he speaks pretty highly of Trump and, and a lot of his policy and a lot of his stances are very similar. I think he does a much better job of being diplomatic and respectful about it but also being blunt and candid about it as well. I think his his speaking and delivery skills are 10 out of 10. He's he's phenomenal there. I think sometimes too that can make it feel a little fake or or like there's a veneer there. It's almost sometimes I think a little unrelatable to people even though He's really good at being relatable in some ways. So I think there's a double-edged sword with that. Um, But I'm curious to see if he doesn't win this campaign, what is the next four or eight or 12 years look like from his perspective? And what is he going to continue to do to put more tools on his tool belt? What is he going to do to go and sharpen the axes in his chest? Because I think he could be a great candidate for many future elections going forward. Um, and I loved, I love, love, loved what he said at the very end that Mike talked about earlier. I've, I have I just want somebody that I can point to and be like, let's be more like yeah. that person. We don't have many of those leaders, not just in politics, but in general with a platform, right? And I think we can point to a couple big superstars and, you know, whether you agree with everything they do, I think The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, a perfect example of somebody that has massive influence. You're not going to like everything he says and does, but he is a great role model in a lot of different facets, right? And we don't have enough of those types of leaders and I would love to see our president be that type of person because he said something that resonated with me at the end which I think ties in with some of the points that we're all making which was he said our ascent or our decline as a choice. And mm-hmm. it made me think about not just our country but how that applies to every individual person's journey as well is like your ascent or your decline is in your hands. It's by the choices that you decide to make. And a lot of those choices are really hard choices, right? But you got to be willing to make them and to step out and be a leader and do things, whether it's leading yourself, leading your family, leading your business, leading your country, you know, at the highest of levels that really resonated with me. And I just love that he's very pro-America in the sense of highlighting and focusing on policy, on rhetoric, on, you know, everything that he talks about is about this revival of our national character. And I think, you know, whether you agree with everything America has done or not, which I don't think there's any country on planet earth that you could go through their Rolodex of, you know, what they've done over their historical timeline and say, I'm proud of every decision that was made. But there are foundational threads that build and create an identity and a character of each country. And I'm damn proud of what America's is. We're not perfect, but we find ways to innovate, to evolve, you know, to get better. And, and I think his message has a lot of hope in it. And it also highlights a lot of the areas that I think we need to be highlighting and talking about right now. I just worry about a little bit of his, his polish and his veneer being a little bit too out of reach for certain everyday Americans and, and pulling some of those people onto his side. And then the other side that we didn't get to ask him the question that I wrote down earlier that I really wanted to, which was, you know, Him having made a significant amount of his wealth in big pharma in the medical space, um, and a lot of the stigmas and things that go along with that, you know, how is he one going to use that experience to make positive change and impact for people Mm -hmm. in the areas that it's not serving them, serving our country, and you know, addressing some of those issues? But overall, what a great land, Ash, and and that was a cool experience. I want to throw a big appreciation to you for you know going out on a limb there and uh locking that interview down with him that was great
4: you think if trump asks him to be vice he would say yes oh 100
2: i think deep down inside he loves trump in a lot of ways i think oh i'm curious actually now to what why do you say that
0: well i think i don't think he's a number two guy i think maybe he takes it just for the sake of like the risk that i believe that something will happen At the top, the top two, and the deck will get reshuffled. If it's not even Vivek, I just feel like, come on, man, we have to move on from this 80 plus president strategy. Like, we just, we're a different world, we're a different you know, the way the world is, is today, I I feel like with technology, with, with how fast everything moves, we just need a leader. That's, that's up to par. That's, that's caught up with where we're at. I just don't feel like 80 plus is it. I ask everyone in my family who's 80 plus grandmas, grandpas, whatever I said. So could you run the HOA? Could you run your (laughs) HOA? Could you run the city? Could you run a county, a state, let alone the country? And I don't care. I mean, yeah, there's there's sharp 80-year-old guys, but I just don't feel like our generation continues to want that. I'm, I'm maybe being ageist, but you just want some more fresh blood. That's all. That's my opinion. I like the
4: 80-year-old guys that are on the property tax uh, negotiation boards, though. Because they're totally a fan of the people. Case in
0: point, Mooch. Yeah.
4: You redu- You asked them, so we go in the city, says, No, we're not lowering your property tax bill. And the 80 year old guys are like, You know what? We'll just say your house is worth 100 grand instead of 300. And the, the people of the city get so mad and they're like, We can do whatever we want.
3: Case in point. Yeah.
2: Mike, yeah. what were you going to say? You think he, he wouldn't?
3: I don't have an opinion, really, um based on some of the things that I saw that he has said about Trump. So, I have two thoughts on this, and I don't, I'm not thinking what I think he would do, but if I'm in his shoes, if I'm truly passionate about making a difference, then I have to look at, you know, what's my opportunity? And is being a number two behind someone the right thing to do for the country? And if that's truly what he believes, then being a number two probably is the right thing. The other side Mm. of that coin, though, When you've got a freaking, (laughs) and regardless of what everybody thinks of Trump, when you got a wild card like Trump, it could be the nail in the coffin for you as number two that never gives you the opportunity to really make the impact that you really wanted to make because being a number two under that guy, I mean, you might not ever even have the opportunity to get your shot at it because, I mean, he's just such a wild card. So there's a part of me that thinks just from what I know about Vivek and, and listening to him that... I think he would do the right thing. And if he thought he could make an impact as a number two, he would do it. But I just think Trump's a wild card. And I don't know that if I truly wanted to be the president of the United States, I don't know that I would put my flag as a number two behind Donald Trump, because I kind of just feel like you're never going to have the opportunity under that guy.
4: You know, Maddie, you had mentioned being pretty sly. You guys, and I saw a lot of people online post, it just reminds them a lot of Obama. What do you guys think? Is there any? Was there any
2: like just just like quick short answers? Is there is there like a comparison you believe in that? I, she, she. I, I do, and I'll just keep it super short from the perspective of both of them have the likability traits where they yeah. aesthetically look presentable. They look good. They can be charismatic in their conversation and delivery, and eighty percent of what comes out of their mouth is not cringy, and so that immediately right there lowers the walls. For a lot of people to get closer and engage with them in a way that, you know, once you get really close and you got things under a microscope, you might not like everything you see, but just just that initial, let me build a bridge so you can walk over and be a little bit closer to hear what I have to say. Both of them do, do that, in my opinion, very, very closely.
3: I was thinking about this earlier. If President Trump and President Obama had a president baby, I think it would be him because <laughs> th- there's a ton of... <laughs> There's a, there's a ton of like, you know, business experience and no nonsense that you get with like Trump, but then, you know, Obama was like a diplomat. Like he was very well-spoken, you know, I, regardless of what you think, you know, about his politics or whatever, like he represented us well. And so I think, you know, like I literally was just thinking this earlier, he's like the perfect combination between a Donald Trump and an Obama.
0: Yeah. And he's Indian. Yeah, which is it cute. Loving that. You guys think that America is ready for an Indian president? And you think white America is ready for an Indian president?
2: Mm. I haven't actually even thought about that. But, but if my, my mm. gut answer is no. My, my quick my, response <laughs> answer, I think for, for a lot of us and the conversations we're in and the communities we're in, we're like, yeah, we care about who is going to do the best for the job right? Like that's our approach to a lot of it. Not, you know, if they're lesbian or gay or if they're black or white or Indian, like, right. But you hear in, in headline news, everything, right? It's those things first and then the role second. And so yeah. I think that that's exactly I, what I asked. I think we're still in that, that climate where that box being checked could go against him for a lot of people, not for me, but for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it's I funny. I mean, business, it. you would never hire somebody for all those other qualifications. You just look at who's going to do the best job and who's most qualified and who do you like. Right, you're going to see who's going to make of me the. Those other money. things, Mikey. You nod <laughs> yeah. your head. What did you? What do you think about
3: that? I'd never even thought about it. Like Aaron said, I, it's weird because you know we've had a black president. The odds of us having a female president are probably pretty pretty strong at some point in time. I think there's these like. I got to be careful how I say this but like I'm I'm Mexican so there's these peripheral races that like I've just never thought about a Hispanic president or an Indian president. You guys were talking about this earlier and he brought it up too and Aaron when you were talking about the chills and you know he said hardship is something that happens to you and victim victimhood is something that you choose. And I think we're just at such a pivotal time right now that whether it's him being an Indian or mm-hmm. his views Or any, you know, even back to what I said was Robert Kennedy, there are so many variables and people that are thinking about things that they've never thought about before. You know, if it was 10 years ago, maybe the fact that he's Indian would be an issue. But I think there's so many other issues going on right now. And I think we're going to see so many more issues between now and the election that I wonder how much of that actually goes out the window and really who can unite the country. When you look at Obama winning, it was really on that you know unifying trying to unify a, a country around something better um you know hope and i just wonder how much we're going to deal with between now and the election that is going to cause people to look past all of that because of the challenges that are going on and i'm an optimist and that's what i love about him too at the end of the day as bad as we think things are in america right now like we are so freaking blessed i was talking to a guy this morning and we were talking about the founding fathers and the constitution. And Vivek said this, like right now, the Supreme Court backs him on a lot of the things that he's thinking six to three. There's all these things that could come together right now that could really cause, you know, some centrist thinking we could really cause, you know, people to rally around some of the middle ground stuff. And he said it too. It's this far right and far left ideology that most Americans actually just don't give a crap about. And they really just want people coming to the center, and so there's a lot of things that could play out right now that are just variables. That so again, the Indian comment, like I, I kind of don't even know if that's in play. And so back to the founding fathers, I asked the question this morning on a call that I was talking to this guy, and you know, I just think back to the Constitution and the founding fathers, and do you think that they saw a day this fast where there's 300 million people plus in America, and you know the things that are going on in this day and age and and I'm not saying that the constitution's outdated but also at the same time I don't think that they foresaw the amount of growth and challenges and and I mean the the, the last 3 400 years the last 20 years have been insane imagine what you know has changed in 3 400 years and so I think we're due for a serious disruption and I was talking about this a couple pods back but just like the fourth turning and and the era that we're in, we are due for some serious, serious change. And I'm not just talking about one presidency change. I'm talking about some deep fabric of the way that we do things in America change. And this just could, <laughs> who, maybe, maybe it ends up being Trump and Biden and then we have a, a Vivek or uh, a Kennedy pair. You just don't know.
4: Yeah. Much. I, I wanna say it's, um, I don't think it's in play. I, uh, the, it will, good. it'll affect a few people, but it's not going to be the deal breaker one way or another. It's good, not going to be good. the thing that pushes it. It's not in play for me. Not, there's not a, not a thought. And so, but they, but I think, I think you're right that like, it'll impact some people, but I don't think it's going to be the tiebreaker. I think it's going to be on yeah. bigger issues than that. that can get, try to get him to the table. I a a little quick comment, like in, round in this. I guess it's another just comparison to Obama and the way he is doing his campaign way unique, right? Like he is getting right now. You could, I can just, I'm sure today he's doing 12 hours of like media and tomorrow he's doing 12 hours of media. And the next day he's doing 12 hours of media. He's going to go to people's schools and online and podcasts. Like he is out there pushing.
0: He's pushing. He is going to be game. That's what Obama did. playing
4: the ground game. And the, the Obama who the don't cancel me was one of my least favorite presidents ever uh, out there. The, he played the ground game different than anyone. And then he also did this really unique thing where when he was getting ready to announce the vice president, they said like, Hey, if you want to figure out who my vice president is, go register your phone number on here. And then everybody registered their phone number. And then on election days, they're texting everybody saying, today's the day to vote. Like, go out. Do you need a ride? We'll come get you text us back. Like they played it totally different. That was the thing that pushed it at the end. So I do think that his unique style if they're also like combining it with some of the CEO mindset of like lead capture and follow-up marketing and how they're going to, you know, if they, if he's really attacking this, like a CEO campaign, he could have an opportunity too to, to do something, you know, different like what happened then. So I can't, I, I mean, I cannot believe how many, you know, that he's willing to come on here and let us ask him whatever he wants without screening any questions. Baffling.
2: That was yeah. cool. I mean that that just That's shows cool. how I think authentic his campaign is, okay. right? Is totally. there was no pre script. I've had interviews with guests on the podcast that are nowhere close to his status. That are like, oh, you can't ask this, and you can't say this, yeah. and you can't do this, right? And he just he popped on. He didn't have any. Yeah, of just that to
4: give. Luck. But it was like he knew that, us that when was he popped in. It wasn't like an respect. intro. Or anything. He's
0: like, okay, oh, let's just yeah, to give the listeners, like the listeners, we we've been in contact with his team for like. 30 days or so asking for this podcast. They didn't prep him. We had to submit what we wanted to talk about or like our podcast and our profiles and all that. I don't even think yeah. that made it to him. My gut tells me as he was coming on, he was probably looking he's, at the he's email. Like, who, who are these dudes? <laughs> who are these dudes? And he one, just one came of them, on. One and of I, them's
3: Indian. It's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah <laughs>
2: well, you know. our, our token Indian guy got us in the door, baby. <laughs> Too. Well, I, I'm glad, I'm glad we
0: talked about yeah. the cultural thing. I, I also, I mean, in my, in my life, in my circles, I also think our country has moved past that, but yeah, you know, there's, there's maybe part of the country that hasn't. And I wouldn't necessarily compare him to like him and Trump. Ver- like is, is the option him or Trump yet? I think it's just like, what are we ready for as a country? And can we make the choice that's good for us when we know we need to make a better choice? I think that's kind of what's,
4: Ashish, we, we do know you've definitely played your cards here.
0: One of the things I do would criticize him on, or maybe I'm concerned about is his international policy, his, yes. his China policy. It's, it's you know, I don't know too much about is. his policy on Israel and all that, but like he's so anti-China and the rhetorical language in which he uses his communication about China, I think is just, it's just, hopefully it's just trying to get votes and trying to get that favor. But I don't think in my experience, in my business, yeah, he's done business in China too, but I just don't think it's realistic to just have a perspective of us versus China. And
2: that's the one area yeah. that when he's been on debate stages, he has shown kind of his, his greenness to foreign policy. And yes, you know, some of the career politicians who actually do have some chops in that area walk circles around him. So that's, I agree with you on that point. I also think one of the things that was important, and this was more of a call to action to you, the listener, every individual, is he said, whether you like politics or not, politics likes you. Whether you like financial freedom or not, it like right like it just made me think of like the things that matter, whether you care about them or not, are going to make an impact in your life. So you
0: You should care,
2: right? Like you should lean in. You should educate yourself. You should have some of these conversations. You should be critically thinking around these things, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, it's your family, like whatever it is. I think that was a really important point that stuck out to me. I was like, there's too many people that are like, "Uh, I can't make a difference. I don't care about that. No, you should care about that. And that's the type of attitude and approach that has really put us in this position Where so many people feel helpless and hopeless is because they don't feel like they have a say, right? And so I think it really is important now more than ever to lean in on those types of things because it really is going to make a difference, not only in your future but your kids' future and future generations.
0: People are afraid of talking about politics anymore, right? Because it's so controversial. You don't want to talk about politics with your best friend because you don't want to get in a fight. So. I think what I like about him too is he's taking the temperature down, even on this podcast, right? Like trying to have difficult conversations about things. We're trying to set the example of how can we have conversations with people you disagree with. Mikey, why don't you uh, maybe bring us home here, my friend?
3: I like what, um, in fact, when we were positioning, whether it was Ash or Maddie to ask the last question, I threw it in the chat. Like, you know, uh, I wanted to hear his take on being all over the world right now, China, Russia, Israel versus focusing on us. I think I want to circle back on that. I mean, at the end of the day uh, I've said this already, but I mean, I like the guy. I think there's just a lot of entrenchment on both sides. I'm not predicting it, but honestly, if we came down to a, to a Trump Biden, I think we could maybe have an independent Hmm. party run here and that could get really interesting. So I, Maddie, what you were just talking about too, like I, I, I'm hoping I'm very hopeful in what you just said that people realize, I think with everything that we've been through, The last four or five, six years, like I'm really hoping that people will understand that, you know, we do have a voice, we do have a say. And like you said, things are going to impact you whether you want to believe it or not. And so the reality is you can bury your head in the sand or we can get out there and do something about it. And, you know, I think the extreme right, the extreme left, like I said, they're really loud, but there's a lot of people in the middle ground. I think it's a, a majority of Americans that are not. Red. They're not blue. They're not Democrat. They're not Republican. They're they just really believe in you know America. And I think I'm hoping that's
2: what we see in this next election.
0: Who's coming on the podcast next? Who's getting Nikki Haley? Who's getting Robert Kennedy?
2: I would love Robert Kennedy, man. That would be so, that would be great.
0: Let's figure that out. So Manifest we, I, think it.
4: We, I think we need to go do that. You know, I think we need to reach high because I don't know. There's Tim Ferriss in one of his books, he writes about like this college professor did a thing this year, like the first year and said, whoever can get like the most famous person in class is going to win like an all expense paid trip to Hawaii or something, right? The first year, no students do it because they believe that someone else is going to do it instead, right? And then they find out that last year, if anybody would have turned in one person, they would have won that free trip. So the next year people went for it. And they got create like somebody got Oprah, right? Like they're, like like it was like people went and found the, some oh, of the most that. famous people out there. So I think that like Ashish, you've shown us this. We need to reach. We need to get some people on here. I think it's time yeah, to man. Get, get more to come All right, on the
2: show. I'm, I'm going to do you guys a solid. I'm going to get Kamala on, okay? And we're going to have a great
4: show. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? Get Kamala Harris. I get
0: love it. I love it. Well, right. this is another... Here kick-ass episode of the king's table what a day what an episode i think we just set a new bar for ourselves not in just the fact that we interviewed a potential presidential candidate but just the dynamic nature of what this podcast could become so it's just super important you as the listeners if you guys are enjoying this if you're learning something keep giving us feedback you can see we're having so much fun here this is going to organically take its own life We're having so much fun. We're learning so much. So continue to give us feedback. You can find us on all our Instagram handles. You can text Maddie's phone number, which is in the show notes. But leave us comments, leave us us feedback. And remember to subscribe to all our podcasts and leave us uh, a review on our podcast. But thanks so much, guys. Great, great episode. Hope it helped you think about your role in life, in business, in politics. So much fun. Peace. Peace.